Thanks for joining us at Warehouse Church. We would love for you to stay connected, and a great way for you to do that is to simply subscribe to this podcast. You can also stay connected throughout the week by checking out our website, warehousechurch.com, or by visiting our Facebook or Instagram pages. From wherever you are listening, we hope that you are encouraged by this week's message. We're honoring our grandparents' day. Happy Grandparents' Day to all of our grandparents out there. We have a very, very special gift for you after church today on the way out. And you know what? If you're over 50 and you're not a grandparent, you're a grandparent uh, from by osmosis today. So you get a gift too, okay? But you have to admit that you're 50. That's the only thing. And if you're uncomfortable with that, you can just walk out and say, well, I'm not old enough. And you can just be pious and that's fine too, okay? Um, hey, listen, church, this week I want to ask you to do something with me. Uh, can I ask everybody to stand up again? Would you mind doing that for me? We're going to do something this morning just real quick. And I'm going to ask Marianne if she would to come stand right here. And I need my wife to come stand with her and put her arm around her. Ladies, if you're in her life group or love Marianne, I want you to come on up too. Paula, girls, come on up here. This week on Thursday, Marianne's going to have open heart surgery. And it's serious. And I know she's a little bashful right now. But we want to pray over her as a church. Amen, church? And we want to pray that God would direct the surgeons, that she would... Uh, um, Bless her family this week, and you be in prayer for them this week. It's just, it, this is a big deal. Uh, she had a very serious heart attack about six, seven weeks ago, and her surgery is this Thursday. So if you would be in prayer on Thursday for her, wake up on Thursday morning and pray for her, and then also check our Facebook prayer page during the day, and we'll give you an update and let you know that everything is great. And if you want to bless their family this week, uh, with some gift cards or something to help them with dinners and stuff. I know that they would appreciate that. So, hey, would you bow your head in prayer with me? And let's pray for our, our dear sister, Marianne. Father, we love you so much. I thank you for Marianne, her ministry in our church, the, what she means to so many of us, Lord. And we trust you. We know that your will is what we celebrate and we ask for. But, Father, on her behalf, on behalf of her kids, her grandkids, her husband, we ask you to just put your hand on her and heal her, guide the surgeons. We pray that the surgery on Thursday will be successful, that she'll come back to us soon, and that we're going to celebrate this, Lord, and we're going to give you all the honor and glory for it, knowing that you love her more than we could even imagine. But we give her to you today and ask you to bless her today. In Jesus' name, and all in agreement, said with me this morning, amen. amen. Thank you very much, everybody, okay? Thank you. And she's going to kill me after church today. I'm sorry about that. <laughs> All right. So we are doing this series called Rooted. And I love this passage of Scripture that I'm going to read for you today out of Acts chapter 17 because this feels like something that's happening today in our world. This is a passage of Scripture that, uh, about the Apostle Paul who goes into a city, he goes into the city called Athens, which was really the hub of philosophy and of really all the world's religions were celebrated and accepted there. So let me read this story for you out of Acts chapter 17, and, and we're going to get into this message today called Making the Unknown Known. Now while Paul was waiting for them in Athens, his spirit was provoked within him when he saw that the city was given over to idols. Have you ever walked somewhere into a room, into an area, a city, or just, and you just felt evil presence around you? It's kind of spooky and scary. Um, 
A few years ago, we were, when we were visiting uh, some missionaries in Guatemala, we went to this remote. I remember that long boat ride we took, Marianne, that the, the boat broke down, and then we got to the island eventually, and we, and we were in this old Catholic church in the middle of this. Uh, it was just a very remote village, but it was one of the oldest Catholic churches in Central America. And they had all of these idols set up, and people were actually bowing down and worshiping these things. And you could just feel a presence in there that, that, that was, it just didn't feel right. You just knew something that was wrong that was going on there. And I, th- I think this is what's happening with Paul. He saw all these idols set up in the city. And we're going to read about them in a second. And he saw people worshiping them. And he saw people giving things to them. And he saw people just really surrendering and bowing in front of them. Uh, and, and it troubled his spirit. And he said this, and, and, and then it says this next. Therefore, he reasoned in the synagogue with the Jews and with the Gentile worshipers and in the marketplace daily with those who happened to be there. Then certain Epicurean and Stoic philosophers encountered him. And some said, what does this babbler want to say? And others said, he seems to be a proclaimer of foreign gods because he preached to them Jesus and the resurrection. And they took him and he brought them to the Oropagus and they said, may we know this new doctrine, what this new doctrine is of what you speak, for you are bringing some strange things to our ears. Therefore, we want to know what these things mean. For all the Athenians and the foreigners who were with them spent, time, spent their time in nothing else but to either to tell or to hear some new thing. Then Paul stood in the midst of the Oropagus and he said to them, Men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you're very religious. For as I was passing through and considering the objects of your worship, and I even found an altar with this inscription, To the unknown God. Therefore... The one who you worship without knowing, him I proclaim to you. God, who made the world and everything in it, since he is the Lord of heaven and of earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands, nor is he worshipped with men's hands, as though he needed anything, since he gives all to all life, breath, and all things. And as he has made known uh, from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth, and has determined their pre-appointed times and boundaries of their dwellings, so that they should seek the Lord in hope that they might, uh, they might grape for him and define him. Though he is not far from each of us, for in him we live and move and have our being, as also some of our poets have said, for we are also his offspring. Therefore, since we are the offspring of God, we ought not to think the divine nature is like gold or silver or stone or something to be shaped by art or man's devisings, Truly, these times of ignorance God overlooked, but now commands all men everywhere to repent, because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of this to all by raising him from the dead. And when they heard of this resurrection of the dead, some mocked, while others said, we want to hear more about this matter. So Paul departed from among them. However, some men joined him and believed, and among them were Dionysus, the Arapagite, a woman named Demarius, and others with them. <clears throat> it's a big story. We've been talking the past couple weeks about the impact of postmodernism, not only on our culture, but even on the way that people worship our Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, postmodernism believes that everybody has a truth that dwells within them, and your truth is your truth. 
What you believe is true about God is true about God to you. What you believe is true about the way that you should live your life is true for you, right? And we hear that expression used a lot, especially in the culture of, of, of sexuality. Well, this is my truth. Um, and it's becoming more and more prevalent. Really, there, there are things that are happening in our world today that, you know, as we celebrate Grandparents' Day, uh, for, for people that are, that are of age or a little bit mature, if we can say it that way and be nice, there are things that are hard to see that are happening in our world today. Uh, I'm reminded sometimes, I don't feel too old. I'm 56 years old. My daughter, my granddaughter, Logan, came up to me. And she said, Pop, she, she did her card right before I came into church, a Grandparents' Day card. She said, Pop, today is for you. It's Grandparents' Day. And I looked at her and said, oh, Logan, thanks. You need to get back in. She goes, yeah, because you're the oldest guy in our church. So she likes to tell me that, which is an affirmation to many of you in this room that are older than me this morning, right? But <laughs> Thanks, Dave. But um, it, 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 it's amazing how we, and, and we have to be, you know, older people have to be careful how we respond to see things today, don't we? Uh, I was in a store yesterday, or not yesterday, it was on Friday. Uh, we were with Emily on her birthday. We went down to help her kind of clean out her apartment. I want to thank you all so much for the love that you gave to my son-in-law, my daughter, last week. They were very moved by the, the graciousness that you extended towards them. A lot of people gave them gifts and things like that. It was a tough, tough week for them last week. This week, Kim and I went down to clean their apartment out for them, and it was, it, it's destroyed. She lost probably 70, 80% of her clothes. And even worse than that, she said, Dad, it's not my clothes. It's all my sneakers, you know, because so, she's a sneakerhead. And uh, so we went out and bought her some sneakers this week and got to spend some time with them. But we were in this store, and she had bought, she, she was picking up some shoes, and it was her birthday. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm doing the exercise all day long, right? <laughs> Pulling out my wallet while, while she's getting some stuff. And you mom and dads understand that. And a, and a young man came up to the counter to wait on me, and I didn't really, I, I, I didn't make a real clear-cut connection with him, but I just looked up and I said, hey, bud, and he just got this super-duper offense look on his face because he was transgender. And, and you know, and I, and I don't want to be, I, I don't want to be somebody that has a judgmental tone about them, right? I don't want to roll my eyes at somebody that are different than me. I don't want to be, I don't want to be a jerk representing Jesus Christ. And we've got to be careful of that, church. You know, and, I, and I'm saying that as somebody who was confronted this week by it. This dude had sugar shorts on that were so high, I'm not, it looked like he was wearing bikini bottoms as, as jean shorts. I'd never seen a guy wear shorts shorter than this before. And I'm, and I'm, and I'm, I'm like, hey, don't make a look, don't do this, the fingernails, the makeup, the, 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 the jewelry and stuff like that. You know, be cool, be cool, be cool, because... What if I would do something that would inhibit the opportunity for me to share with this guy about Jesus? Right? We said last week, the Bible teaches us that the natural man, that means the unsaved human being, does not understand the things of God because the Holy Spirit doesn't live inside of them. But we as Christians, at times, act very offended by what those people do. I'm not just talking about transgender and this and this. I'm talking about anybody that has a different lifestyle than what you would say is a Judeo-Christian, ethical, church background lifestyle, right? We get offended. I, I remember as a kid growing up in church that I gasped 
when one of the deacons in our church was getting a divorce, right? <gasps> you know, and, and, they did, and, and when they got a divorce, they, had, they went to a different church because they got a divorce. And that was just like the biggest thing in the whole world 50 years ago, right? And now, and I'm not saying, listen, if, if you're divorced, we're glad you're here. If you're red, yellow, black, or white, you're precious in his sight. If you're with a man, if you're, I don't care who you are, if you're here, we're glad you're here, amen? And we don't stand in judgment of everybody, but, but what, what, what I'm going to talk to you about today is declaring this person this God that is really unknown to our world today. He's really unknown to our world today. And, and we have to be so careful as, as, as followers of Jesus Christ that we are elevating Him and not ourselves. Because we can be very, very guilty at elevating... Uh, because we, ha we know the truth, right? I mean, we really do know the truth. And sometimes there's an arrogance that comes along with that. Well, I know you don't know, you know, and hey, I'm, I'm sorry to say this. And, and I, I've, I've been in, I've, I've heard church services like this. I've heard people speak about this. You know, it's not that I'm better or worse, but if you don't know Jesus, you're going to hell and I'm not. And it's almost, they're saying that in a way where I'm better than you are, so you just better deal with it. And that can't be the, the posture that we have when we're speaking to the, to the people in our world that, that need to find and follow Jesus Christ right? And we, so as we've been thinking through a lot of those things, I'm, I'm, I'm really going to give you a strategy today that Paul used when he would share with people the gospel of Jesus Christ. In, in 1 Corinthians 9, in verse number 22, Paul makes a statement. Now, he's describing the freedoms we have in Christ, right? There was a big, big thing in 1 Corinthians that Paul talked to the church at Corinth about when he was talking to them that, that there were Gentile believers and there were Jewish believers. And this was a conflict in Galatians. This was a conflict in 1 Corinthians and in 2 Corinthians and even with the Apostle Peter later on in the New Testament. But what had happened was people would be worshiping false gods and they would make animal sacrifices like the Jews made to God himself, to God our Father, that they would make these sacrifices on the altar. So these people were making sacrifices of bulls, of goats, and this and that. And when they would sacrifice them and burn it up to, to, to whatever God that they say existed, they would then take that meat to the marketplace that they just cooked, basically, on an altar and sell it. And the Jewish Christians, follow this now, were offended at the Gentile Christians because they bought this meat that was on sale. I mean, literally, that's what happened. This meat was a little bit cheaper because it was second-hand meat that was used from offering of uh, idols. Uh, and, 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 and these Gentile Christians were like, dude, I've got a family to raise. How many of you go to the discount area when you're buying meat or going to the grocery store sometimes, right? My, wa that's, my wife makes a beeline there. We've got to see what's on sale. We've got to see what's on sale. Why? Because I want to see what I'm going to cook for you this week. And I'm like... You know, when I'm going cooking, when I'm going to buy f uh, meat for us to cook, I'm going to Central Market, and I'm going to the bougie section. But we'll do that for you. I'm okay with that, right? But that's exactly what the Gentile believers were doing. And Paul said, listen, it's not, and Jesus said this too, it's not what goes into you that makes you holy. It's what's coming out of you that makes you holy or unclean, right? It's what's coming out of you. But Paul also shares this strategy of witnessing in 1 Corinthians, when he says this, he says, to the Jews, I can play the Jewish game and live like the Jews. Like, I get it. 
I was a Pharisee of Pharisees. I was as religious. He was like the number two Pharisee of all the Jews uh, of his time. And he was in line to be the big chief head Mufasa of all the Pharisees, okay? And so he knew all the religious jargon. He and, and Paul had a strategy even on his missionary journeys where the first place that he would go, because he had a heart for his kinsmen, the first place that he would go is to the temple and proclaim Jesus Christ, okay? And Paul had a heart for the Jewish folks. He says, to the Jews, I'm going to talk the way Jews do, and I'm going to act the way Jews do so that I can win some Jews. That's what he said in 1 Corinthians 9. Then he says this, as a Roman citizen, right? And this was a big, big deal in the book of Acts. He says, to the Gentiles... I could become a Gentile, I could talk like the Gentiles, I could act like the Gentiles without compromising my belief system for this reason, because I want to win some Gentiles to Jesus Christ, right? And then he says this statement, I have become all things to all men just so that some will come to know Jesus Christ as their personal Savior. So he lays out this, 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 this strategy. So, okay, let's go back to the story here we read out of Acts chapter 17. Paul's in Athens, he's talking to all these philosophers, all these religious people, specifically it's mentioned in this passage of Scripture with the epics, uh, the Epicureans and the Stoics. Now the Stoics that were mentioned in this passage um, were a lot like maybe what smarter ph uh, philosophy people would teach today. Uh, the Stoics were people that believed that obtaining knowledge is the highest value and, and uh, seeking to live out good virtues. And that, that's honorable, right? We want to learn a lot. And we want to be virtuous in our living or live a moral lifestyle. And that's, that's really a philosophy that's taught in a lot of our colleges, even liberal arts colleges that are super duper liberal. They teach you obtain knowledge, obtain knowledge, obtain knowledge, and, and just live the best life that you can. Not necessarily a bad thing, but it certainly is a big gap, if you will, when it comes to having a relationship with God. And then there were the super duper crazy ones, the Epicureans. The Epicurean philosophers believed Whatever you got to do necessary, avoid pain. I'm not against that necessarily, okay? Like, I'm the guy that goes to the dentist. I want the laughing gas and the needle. Like, I want the whole thing. I don't want to feel none of it, right? That's Epicurean. Now, we're going to avoid pain at all costs, and one of our core values is to seek as much physical and sexual pleasure as possible. Well, that doesn't sound too far from what's going on in our world today, does it? You with me? You tracking with me? You say, I don't know if I should say yes or no because people think I'm a horn dog. We're just talking about the world, so just hang with me for a second, okay? So like ancient Athens, here's the first thing I'm going to tell you today. We live in a world where God is unknown. We live in a world where God is unknown. Some people will say God's name. So a lot of people use God's name in vain. Uh, they'll say, oh my God. There's, a, there's, a, there's this understanding that there may be some kind of some kind of being that created everything, or if we believe in uh, that the world just kind of happened with some explosion and everything kind of happened accidentally, you know, you can believe that. But we do live in a world today where God is unknown. Paul said that uh, in this, when he, when he was talking to the, epics and, uh, the, the Stoics and the Epicureans, he said, men of Athens, I perceive that in all things you guys are religious. Now, let me tell you what Paul didn't do. I'm going to read this to you again, and I want you to pick out a couple things that Paul did not do. You ready? In, in Acts 17, verse 22. Paul stood in the middle of the Oropagus, which was where all these idols were, and he said, men of Athens, I perceived in all things, you guys are pretty religious, right? Because as I was passing through and considered the objects that you guys were worshiping, I even found an altar with this inscription, to the unknown God. 
So this is his evangelistic strategy revealed. He says this, therefore, the one whom you worship without knowing, that's the one I'm going to proclaim to you. So let's look at what Paul didn't say. Paul didn't say, you stupid idiots, what are you doing worshiping those things that aren't even alive? Right? Paul didn't say, you big dummies, you're wasting your money on stone. How can you worship a stone when the God of the universe created the heavens and the earth in six literal days, sent his son Jesus to die on the cross so that we can have forgiveness of sins? What is wrong with you people? And I think sometimes, don't you feel that way a little bit inside of you? When you hear the craziest of things that people believe and hold in their belief system in their life today, you're like, what? If you go back in the Old Testament, read about the, read about the children of Israel. God told the children, I'm reading through 2 Chronicles right now. Tammy, I don't know if you're still with me, but I'm in 2 Chronicles. I'm, I'm plowing through those tough books right now. But I read about how God told Solomon, after Solomon does all this, I mean, Solomon was the man, richest man that probably ever lived. God told Solomon, this is all yours and will continue to be yours if you don't turn your back on me. Don't turn your back on me. Don't believe what these other nations are teaching. Because here's what happened to God's chosen people. They started believing what other people did. They brought all these false gods into their home. Even so much that they sacrificed their own babies into the fire. Believing in nothing. But Paul, Paul didn't come across real judgy with them. He said, oh, man, I, matter of fact, he was kind of complimentary. Man, you guys are religious. Ooh, man, you guys are very pious and religious and speaking to them, not over them, not at them, speaking to them. He said, hey, there's an altar over here. So you have Diana, the, the goddess. You have this goddess. You have this god. You have this god. Some of them were actual body parts that, that they would worship. And we won't even get into that. But all these things, and Paul's watching this. And then there's this altar with nothing on top of it. And just to make sure that they got all the gods covered, right? They got the God of this, the God of this, the God of this, the God of this. And here's this altar that says to the unknown God. You know what that's like? That's like saying, well, you know what? Just in case we're missing somebody, that one belongs to you, right? So Paul says this. You guys are very religious. Man, I see all this going on here in this temple of this. You see this altar right here says to the unknown God. I want to tell you about him today. So he had their attention because earlier he was talking about the resurrection and earlier he was talking about Jesus. So what was Paul's strategy? He, he declared to them the unknown God and here's what he did. He started in the beginning. Started in the very, very beginning. Acts chapter 17 verse 24 he says, God who made the world and everything in it since he is Lord of heaven and earth does not dwell in temple made with hands. He started very beginning, Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. That's where he started. He wanted them to understand that everything that is and everything that exists is because of God. He was declaring the God that they didn't know to them. He started at the very beginning of Scripture. Here's number three. And he also wanted them to know that God is bigger than anything that man has ever made. God who made the world and everything in it, since he is Lord of heaven and earth, doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Nor is he worshipped with men's hands as though he needed anything since he gives to all life, breath, and all things. You know what he was saying? God is bigger than any of us and none of us is God. And I, you know what, and we say that, you know, as Christians, of course we believe that. But don't we sometimes take God's place in our own lives and lives of others sometimes? Where we have this 
almost a messianic complex where we want people to depend on us instead of depending on God, right? And Paul wanted these, these, all these philosophers to understand something that day, that God is bigger than all this. He's, big, he's bigger than this, this arena with all these weird-shaped idols that you guys are worshiping. He's bigger than Athens. He's bigger than Greece. Man, I can't, you know, you know when you talk to somebody that traveled real far, it's, sometimes it's kind of impressive if you, hey, where are you from? Like, I got to speak to some people in Florida that were actually uh, from the UK, which isn't a big deal anymore because the way we all travel, but we got to talk a little bit about the Queen and the passing of the Queen and the impact that has on the whole world and had a really nice, engaging conversation with somebody about that. And that was really neat uh, t- to talk to somebody like the day that the Queen died about that, right? And you can imagine somebody in Athens talking to a dude that was from Jerusalem when it was very, very, very rare in that day for you to travel like that. You didn't go online, buy a ticket, fly the net, like we did when we saw Emily last week. I bought my airline tickets like last Monday or Tuesday. We used some miles up. And we, we went on Wednesday and we flew down there. And us, you fly into Orlando, man, that's a gigantic airport, right? A lot of foreign people there. A lot of, lot of everything was there. We go see her. It's a very, very diverse city. It's not a big deal to travel like that. But back in the Bible days, when you had to get on a boat for two or three weeks at a time, where are you from? Jerusalem. Jerusalem? where's that at? That's like on the other side of the world, isn't it? Yeah. But how can that be? You know, I mean, this would just be a very startling thing to them. And here's Paul trying to connect with these guys and teach them that God is bigger than anything that man had made. Here's, number, here's the next thing. Man had a distinct, intentional beginning, and that was God. And that's what he wanted these guys to understand. He has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed time and the boundaries of all their dwellings. Number five, man has an instinctive desire to know God. And, you, and, and Paul spoke into that that day. You guys are here to worship all this stuff. You're very, very religious people. You have something inside of you that's searching for the truth. Now, here's the difference between modern-day philosophy and Christians' belief in the unchanging, immutable Word of God. We believe the Word of God is unchanging truth. Say it again, right? This is the truth, the whole truth and nothing but the truth. That's not a biblical quote, but we know that everything in this book is absolute truth. It's not a my truth. It's not a his truth. It's absolute truth, and it's unchanging truth, okay? And because these guys had a, a desire to have some kind of relationship with some kind of God that existed, he said this in verse number 27, so that they should seek the Lord in the hope that they might find, uh, might grow for him and find him, though he is not far from each and every one of us. Listen to what it says in Psalm 145, 18. The Lord is near to all who call upon him, to all who call upon him in truth. I love what it says in Hebrews. I was witnessing to a guy sometime. He just, he just did not, he said, I just don't know if I believe it. I just know if I don't, I don't know if, I said, well, you just pray this prayer. Because the Bible says this in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, that God exists and he rewards those who diligently seek him. Would you whisper this prayer to God? This is what I told this guy who wasn't sure to put his faith in Christ that day. Would you just agree that God exists? I agree with that. And I said, would you pray this prayer with me? God, please show me what I need to know to have a relationship with you. And I said, and, and, and be sincere in that. Do you re- I really want to know the truth. This just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So he bowed his head. He said, dear God, Help me to understand 
what the truth is, because if it's your truth, I want to know the truth. That man gave his heart to Christ about two weeks later, but here's what's beautiful about it. Two weeks later, he came up to me and said, you know what? Something helped me to understand it that's beyond me. You know what that's called? God's Holy Spirit that helps us, reveals the truth, saturates it in our heart, speaks that truth to us, helps us to get it. We can't have a relationship apart from the Holy Spirit with God. And when, the whole, when we accept Jesus Christ as Savior, God's Holy Spirit lives with inside of us. We have a desire to know God. And God wants you to know Him. He's not hiding like some big treasure map where it's super duper hard to find Him. He wants us to know Him. He tells us as believers, go to the uttermost parts of the world and proclaim my name. So that people can know him. And we have a responsibility. Nick was talking about this with the offerings earlier. Why are we going to Kenya? Because we want to make Jesus famous. Why do we support missionaries in Cuba? Because we want people in Cuba to know Christ as Savior. Why do we support other churches that are planted? Because we want people, the uttermost parts of the world, to know who Jesus Christ is. That's why this church exists. That's why God left us here after we accepted Christ as our personal Savior. Here's number six. He's before all things. Acts 17, 28 says... For in him we move, we live and move and have our being, as some of your own poets have said, for we are all his offspring. Here's what it says in Colossians 1.17. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. That means this world doesn't have gravity, doesn't spin, doesn't have all these things that happen in the universe without the Lord Jesus Christ keeping it all together. He is before everything, and everything stays in existence because of him. And here's what Paul was telling them. God is unlike any other God. Listen to Psalm 96, 13. He said this, For he is coming for He is coming to judge the earth, and he shall judge the world with righteousness, and people with what? What's he going to judge them by? Their works? No, with his truth. With his truth. Paul says this also, that Jesus' resurrection is proof of God. In Acts chapter 17, 31, he says, Because he has appointed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by the man whom he has ordained. He has given assurance of all of this to all by raising him from the dead. So what's the big, what's the big thing that God wants us to understand with this today, right? We live in a world where God is unknown. God left us here to make him known, right? But here's what's, here's what's difficult. You see a guy like Paul. Like Paul was like, you know, when you talk about Paul the missionary, he's like a gladiator for Jesus. This guy, you read in 2 Corinthians, all the stuff that he endured. He was bitten by snakes. He was whipped. He was, he, he, everything that you could imagine physically, he was shipwrecked. He had a horrible, he was beaten to death. He was stoned. Like all these different things happened to him, right? What, at, at being a missionary. And he did all this so that people could come. He said this in Philippians, for me to live is Christ. And literally, and to die is gain. That means I don't have to do this anymore and suffer, right? But, but here's, here's what Paul said, what happened with Paul after witnessing to these guys in Athens at the Oropagus with all these Gentiles and Epics and uh, Stoics and Epicureans and all this big message that he shared there that day. When they heard of the resurrection of the dead, they mocked him. <laughs> resurrection of the dead. Like they were worshiping a stone but mocked Paul for, you know, for teaching about resurrection. But listen to what it says here. We want to hear you again. Well, I want to hear a little bit more about this. So Paul departed from among them. And then it says in verse number 34, however, some people joined him and believed. Some people joined him and believed. 
You and I do not have the responsibility in our lifetime as being believers to save people. We can't do it. We can help people, and we help people so that we can tell them about Jesus, so that Jesus can save people. But there's nothing in my powers, nothing in... I'm, I'm a pretty big guy. Um, I, I, I talked to a teenager one time at this youth camp I was talking to. And he came up to me. He was about five foot seven. He came up. Man, I didn't realize how big you are, but I don't how, care how big you are. You can't make me believe in Jesus. And he got up on my face. I wanted to just flick him. You know, I just wanted to go... He was like this tall, and I'm way over him. And I, was, I probably was about 100 pounds more than I am today, so I just could have fell on him and squashed him. I said, dude, what are you mad at? Like, I, I just think God gave me like this, this, I could see it. What are you so mad at? I never talked to you disrespectful before. I've never made you feel insignificant about, tell me what's going on in your life while you feel it was okay for you to talk to me like that. Well, my parents made me go to camp, and I didn't want to go. I said, then have a great week at camp. Matter of fact, let's go play some ball after, after, after tonight. We'll go, go shoot some hoops or whatever. And we did, and we hung out a little bit, and we talked. I found out that he's got a lot of yucky, yucky stuff in his life. You know what I couldn't do? I couldn't save him. But you know what I could do? Love him and listen to him and pay attention to him and talk to him about Jesus where that young man accepted Christ as Savior at the end of that week at camp. How does that happen, church, when we have a heart for people that God gave his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for us so that we can have a relationship with him? But if we come across like Paul could have, you stupid religious, no, who do you guys think you are? He didn't do that. If we come across in a condescending tone, oh, you're living this lifestyle that's against the word of God, you know. Then we're real religious and we say God in two syllables, God, you know, like that. And we, and we talk down to people and we look at their sin and we get, and we, don't we get offended at stupid stuff sometimes? I mean, Honestly. We just get offended at the dumbest, dumbest things sometimes. I think I offended somebody this morning. Um, in our kids' ministry, the, the, the Cardenas family, they're just not dressed appropriate for church today. They're all wearing this Dallas Cowboys stuff to church today. And it vexed my spirit. You know, I, I said, I got to go in and talk to the Lord a little bit before... This service is going to start today for me to get my head around this message that the Lord laid on my heart, right? And I was joking with him a little bit, and, and, and Crystal says, don't you judge us. You say judge not all the time in church. I'm like, oh, you're right. Uh, I get it, all that stuff. But sometimes we, church, we have to guard our hearts and guard our emotions and stop getting mad at people for doing things that they don't even know is wrong because they don't have a relationship with Jesus. You can't get mad at somebody that doesn't know. Now, yeah, there's some things, like I get offended, like if, 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 if somebody comes up and like starts spewing like super duper foul language, I, I grew up with that, so that stuff doesn't bother me all the time, but when somebody's like dropping the F-bomb and saying God's name in vain real ugly around my wife or my kids, I'll just say, hey man, you know what, we got other ladies, we got ladies here, let's clean it up a little bit, you know, I don't want to be a jerk, but you're better than that, you know, I don't, I don't yell at them and I'm not a jerk to them. But it's, it's, it's funny how sometimes we let all this surfacey stuff, oh, I would never. I'm a, I'm a follower of Jesus. I don't, I don't live that lifestyle. I don't do that stuff. And maybe God has you in their life to love them in such a way where you may be the person that's their link to Jesus. But if you're ugly about it, you're going to miss the opportunity. Paul went to every city 
and he saw these opportunities. He was a little disappointed in his ministry sometimes. Paul even said this, I wish to God that all of my kinsmen would understand what I'm talking about, even so much that, that I would sacrifice myself and spend eternity in hell so that they would all come to know Christ as Savior. It really bothered him. It bothered him. He, he, and you know what he did? Every city he went to, right to the synagogue, Jesus, resurrection, he came, the fulfillment of Scripture. And he knew the Old Testament so much that they knew he was, that he was knowledgeable. And then he connected Jesus with the Old Testament and Isaiah 53, told him about Jesus, and most of the Jews were just like, meh. But the Gentiles were like, we want to hear about this Jesus. And he had a better ministry with the Gentiles, even though he never lost his heart for the Jews, right? But he, every opportunity he had, every city he went to, every venue he was in. When he was in jail, he would proclaim Jesus. When he was on a ship getting ready to be shipwrecked, he would proclaim Jesus. When he was walking down the road and talking to people, he would talk to them about Jesus. And I look at everything we do every single day. Going to the bank, going to the store, going here, going there. I wonder if God's going to put your life in an intersection with somebody else's so that you can not be offended, not judge, not talk down to them, but tell them about Jesus. I walked out of that store. It was called Tilly's. They sell a lot of skateboard stuff in there, like really cool sneakers and skateboard clothes and stuff. And I walked out of Tilly's. And I looked at Emily and I said, was I an old man jerk to that guy? She said, Dad, he looked crazy. And I said, I know that. But was I an old man jerk to that guy? She says, no, no, he, he, could, he did not, you did not react when you saw him. I said, everything inside of me was going, ah! like I just wasn't ready for it. I just wasn't ready for it. I said, honey, we can't ever be people that get offended at other people other people's lives and other people's lifestyles because we'll miss the opportunity to tell them about Jesus, right? That was Paul's philosophy. I think it's a good philosophy for us to consider for our life today as well. Father, we love you.